Welcome to this week's Investors Chronicle Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Leonora Walters, and joining me today are Kate Bailey, Personal Finance Writer at Investors Chronicle, and Special Guest Gavin Haynes, Managing Director at Wealth Manager Whitechurch Securities. This week's Portfolio Clinic features a reader who wants to maintain his lifestyle in retirement by generating a relatively high level of income. Gavin, if people want a high level of income from their portfolios in retirement, what kind of investments could you consider holding? Well, with, with rates on cash remaining miserly, the necessary evil is if you want to enhance your income, you need to be prepared to take on some risk. And the thing is, as people reach retirement naturally, as they stop earning, um, their risk tolerance falls. So, so which investments they go in depend on a what their personal tolerance is for risk, how much they've got to invest, but also the time frame that they're investing in. Um, first of all, I'd always advocate trying to build a diversified portfolio. So, if you're looking to generate income, I mean, you can start. There are sort of multi-asset income funds that'll invest in. Um, that will put together a portfolio for you within a fund that invests across different asset classes. Um, but if you're building a portfolio yourself, um, pro- providing you're prepared to accept the ups and downs of the stock market, I still believe dividend producing producing shares held either directly or within funds to be um, a very good area, but also diversify um, look at fixed interest bonds, still have a part to play. It's not an area we're particularly keen on, but but selectively they still have a part to play. And also areas such as commercial property um, provide a good level of income. And digging deeper, there are alternative areas such as infrastructure and even absolute return funds now that can generate an income. So there, there are a number of opportunities. But again, like like everything in investment, it's a, it's a trade-off between risk and reward. It's interesting you mentioned bonds, because uh, obviously, like you say, they maybe not flavour of the month at the moment. Um, I mean, what kind of bond funds could people consider? And I mean, how much should they allocate to them? As you, as you say, certainly it is an area that's very tricky at the moment, particularly an area that would be under pressure if interest rates rise. Um, an area that yields aren't very enticing on government bonds, so a 10-year gilt pays less than 2%. Um, we're, we're quite underweight, so in an, in an income and growth portfolio, for, say a balanced investor, we probably have no more than 20-25% um, in, in bonds. And what we're using is strategic bond funds. So these are bond funds that can invest globally, they can invest in all areas of fixed interest from government bonds, um, corporate bonds, um, investment grade, high yield bonds, and you've got fund managers who uh, specify, or sorry, um, uh, are particularly focused on just looking at that asset class and sort of finding the best opportunities and taking a flexible approach and moving it into the best areas when economic climates change. So so that's where we, we focus and we'd say uh, they're probably a good choice to give you a, a wide remit in a difficult asset class at the moment. Okay. Um, now, people think of income investments because they're generating an income, but um, to what extent should they also um, consider growth in a retirement portfolio? And how do you decide what balance to have between growth and income? Well, with people living longer, it's it certainly is important to to generate some growth, particularly to um, protect against inflation. So, 
I think that means, again, it's, it's very much about getting the balance and rather than chasing the highest yield, so looking for to maximise your income, potentially you, you need to um, take a, a slightly lower income in, within your portfolio and, and therefore invest in areas that provide the opportunity for growth as well. So, for example, in, in White Church's portfolio as a balanced portfolio at present, for clients who are looking to maximise income, we're probably able to provide a yield of around 4%. But realistically, for clients who are looking for an income and growth strategy and so are looking to, to generate some growth above inflation over the medium to long term, the yield would probably be close to 3%. Okay. Now, we've talked quite a bit about funds, but um, in this strategy, you know, um, what what is best, funds, direct equities, or could could you have a mixture of both? Yes, I do think you could have a, a mixture of both. Um, first of all, it does depend on how much you're investing. And if you are going to buy shares directly, you do have enough, or you need to have enough to invest to make it cost-effective to build a portfolio with a spread of shares invested across um, a number of sectors, so to... Um, reduce the stock specific risk and if you are going to manage them yourselves you you do prepared need to be prepared to put in a significant amount of research and be confident in building a portfolio that'll be well balanced well diversified and, and won't expose you to too much risk um, otherwise there are a number of good equity income funds uk equity income funds with experienced managers or household names such as the Neil Woodfords of this world who will, mm. will put together a, a well-diversified UK um, stock market portfolio that generates dividends. Um, but you talked about uh, a mix of direct yeah. equities and funds, and what some investors like to do is have UK shares where they're mm. familiar with the company names, much easier to research one market mm. and the domestic market. But then you could diversify that with um, overseas equity income holdings and certainly... We certainly would stress that if you're looking at an equity income strategy, looking to generate income from shares, the UK is, is just a small part of that. And um, we certainly like global income funds and and dividend producing shares across global markets. But for that, we, for most investors, it's likely to, to be a fund that, that they choose. Yeah, and presumably for your other assets, I guess your bonds and your property, etc., then there's no choice other than to have a fund, is there? No, certainly in, in property, it's, mm. not many people have enough money to, to go and build, them, um, build themselves a portfolio of, of office blocks and warehouses or the expertise. And even in, in bonds, as I say, when, when it was a case of maybe just selecting gilts and choosing to, to, to buy a government bond, then that's, that's something you can do directly. But with where certainly we see little value in government bonds and you have to look further down in some dig down deeper and certainly um, buying corporate bonds is, is tricky and requires a significant amount of research then for, for most investors we would say the fund route is is worth a, the charge yeah and I mean there's not many corporate bonds people can access directly anyway as there's not really a proper choice of them well you can you can yeah. buy mm. corporate bonds directly but yeah. it, it's, it's it's really mm. the amount of research and yeah. for example bonds issued by banks the, the mm. prospectuses are as thick as a telephone directory and in terms of um the, the clauses you need to understand and, and where you yeah. fit in the pecking order of getting your money back and and, and so I, I would say probably steer clear away yeah. and, and leave that one to the the fund experts. Okay. Now, when you're putting together um, a high-income, um, I suppose, portfolio like this, are there any investments that might look really tempting because perhaps they've got a juicy yield on them, but you should avoid? 
Um, I think you you hit the the nail on the head there with um sort of mm-hmm. be don't be um too distracted by a juicy yield or a headline yield. Um, uh, I think as as we talked about, it's a case of risk and reward. And um, as you the higher the yield, in simple terms, the greater amount of risk you're likely to be taking on to 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 generate that. So 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 certain areas, I guess sort of unregulated property schemes you've seen people falling foul of which um have promised people sort of very very compelling yields which which really aren't realistic and um as i said sort of with um sort of our income portfolio with equities yielding around four percent government bonds two percent anything that's much in excess of that you you really have to sort of dig down deep and ask what risks you're taking to generate that income and I mean, I'm guessing you should always check if something's regulated, should you? Because that seems to be where some of these awful kind of recent scams have come from. Yes, totally. Um, that's and I think property in particular, and sort of it's it's sort of offshore property yeah. schemes, and um, sort of people have been suckered into those. And yes, I'd certainly say sort of look for for most investors, UK regulated funds sort of make sense to 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 just limit your universe to that. Yeah, I mean, even though within the, um, I suppose, the regulated area, you get high yield bond funds, which I suppose perhaps even higher yields than strategic bond funds. Um, what's your view on them? Because they're obviously they're regulated, they're, you know, um, uh, kind of respectable investments, but yeah, totally, high they risk. definitely have a part to play in mm. a, a portfolio, and we we think high yield corporate bonds is is one of the more attractive um, areas of of the bond market, especially if the economy is improving. However, we we sort of categorise them, we'd put them in a stock market risk bucket. So just because it says bond on the end, that doesn't mean it's a low risk investment and certainly um, high yield corporate bonds, um, they can offer an attractive income, but they can also be volatile in a similar way to the stock market. So so you have to be aware that you're you're taking sort of significant capital risk if you're if you're going to chase the yields offered by high yield corporate bonds. Yeah, I suppose in that case then is there is there any point having them should you just you know, if you're gonna have that level of risk, should you just have the equities and not bother the high yield bonds? Um they they can act as a mm. diversifier, so they do have slightly different characteristics. So so we'd sort of say that there is a place place for both within a portfolio, but 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 yes, I think they're they're certainly not an alternative to people who'd invested in government bonds for example and saying oh i don't like the yield on government bonds i'm going to switch that all into high yield corporate bonds because you're taking on very different risks if you do that okay now there's been um quite a bit of talk of interest rate rises both in the u.s and uk people are saying even next month for the u.s unless things china in china kind of totally mess up and the uk they're saying like early next year i think um I mean, to what extent do income investors need to factor these possibilities, I guess possibilities, not certainties, into their planning? Um, you know, what, what are the key points to consider um, if they need to do that? Um, I guess, first of all, sort of our own view is that we think interest rates are likely to remain lower for longer. We think the global economy remains in a, a fairly fragile state and we don't see material interest rate rises for some time to come but but yes you're quite right the um the fed rule federal reserve in the us and the bank of england have already started sort of sounding out markets and giving warning shots that um rate rises are imminent and so that that's certainly something investors need to consider and um when they're formulating their investment strategy um and so if an increase in interest rates wouldn't be good for areas that pay a fixed income 
um, and such as bonds and also um, shares that, that act like bonds, so, so high-yielding sectors that don't offer good dividend growth may struggle. They're seen as bond proxies, so they may, might see a sell-off. So, what would be examples of um, sectors? Yeah. I guess sort of sectors mm. such as utilities traditionally are, are one that sort of fit into into that space where sort of they've traditionally played a nice high yield, but they don't have the the, the strong growth potential. Um, so, so it, it, it is something you, you certainly need to consider in terms of be aware of of which areas get hit harder in interest rate rises, um, but. I would say we don't see sort of a, a significant interest rate shock in the short term. And we think that both the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve would very much sort of warn people in advance. They'll, they don't want to shock markets because they saw what's happened. Um, um, certainly in the US um, just over two years ago when the Federal Reserve's uh, made some noises about tightening monetary policy and they had the bit of the taper tantrum which which hurt markets so we think any any rises will be gradual and be well communicated so that's hopefully will um help investors position their portfolio gradually rather than suffer a shock okay well i guess we'll find out soon yes. enough <laughs> this week kate has been looking at whether a recent fall in the german equity market means um now is a good entry point to this region Kate, first of all, why did the German market fall and why do some commentators think it's still a good place to invest? Um, well, the fall seems to have been connected to the um, crash in the Chinese stock market. Um, and that's because Germany has quite a high um, reliance or a high proportion of exports to China now. So there's a bit of concern over, over what that Chinese crash means for the German economy. Um, but people are, are generally very positive on, on the German market or have been at least um, for the past kind of year. Um, early this year, it was among the best performing markets in the world. So this crash has been quite recent in, in Germany's main index, the DAX. And some people are saying that that means it's, it's a good time to get in. Um, and particularly among ETFs, um, because this is actually quite um, an underserved area when it comes to ETFs. There aren't that many options. But earlier this year, quite a lot of commentators were saying, actually, Germany a good place to be because it's a, a key beneficiary of a weak euro. So Germany's been kind of on the agenda when it comes to European ETFs for a while, um, but there aren't that many of them. Um, so it's it's a hard kind of, it's a hard one in terms of you don't have much choice, but people are saying there are some interesting options here. Okay. Um, are there not any risks though? I mean, um, you know, perhaps it's good value of a... Um... Yeah, well, there, there are obvious obvious risks here and it has to be said that the performance of these ETFs and these indices have, has not been good in the short term. Um, so, I mean, among your options are ETFs that track the DAX and the issue with the DAX is it is quite concentrated. There's only 30 stocks in there um, and it will be quite exposed to, to this Chinese slowdown um, because of the nature of the stocks in there um and it you know includes things like german car companies obviously big exporters so etfs tracking that bit of a risk there um but then there are some other quite interesting small cap um, etfs now for example dbx trackers missile stand and mid cap germany um which people say is quite an interesting one over the long term small cap does tend to outperform but the risk here is obviously uh, these are smaller companies, so maybe a bit more volatile. Um, so, I mean, it w there are risks and 
you know, Europe is obviously having a bit of a volatile, unpredictable time at the moment, and Germany is part of that. Um, so there, there's no kind of guarantee that this market is heading in the other direction, but people seem to like it on a kind of fundamental basis. Gavin, um, do you think um, UK investors should be getting exposure to German equities at the moment? Yeah, we do certainly like Europe as a region, and and yes, I do, I do believe Germany does offer um, some attractive opportunities. Um, as Kate said, they've seen a significant sell-off over the summer, and that could create a, a buying opportunities. There's the continuing uncertainty, obviously the the Grexit fears, and with a general election in Greece announced for September, that that could the political situation in Europe's going to remain volatile, um, and also the the China situation. Having having been in China a couple of years ago, I was amazed even then the number of BMWs and Mercedes <laughs> that were were clogging the, the streets of Shanghai. And so, so so areas like that are are specific headwinds. But saying that, um, the bigger picture is that the economic environment in Europe is improving. Uh, fueled by the quantitative easing policies of the ECB, uh, the picture is getting better, and the picture certainly improved for for companies. Um, and from a valuation perspective, we think the well, the German stock market is cheaper, for example, compared to the US stock market. Yet, if you look at the potential for profit growth over 12 months, how earnings are estimated to grow over the next year, the picture in Germany certainly looks much more attractive than the the US stock market. So. Um, I think for a lot of investors, they they may they may choose to follow sort of exposure to Germany as part of a wider European fund. But mm. but yes, there are ETFs, there are actively managed funds that you can gain exposure to Germany directly, and um, it could be a good recovery play following the, following the the recent summer sell off. Uh, no, one thing that um, I suppose has occurred uh, more recently is um, you know obviously a lot of currency fluctuation. If um, UK investors are investing in the euro area, should they have a hedged fund? It's certainly been very useful over the past year. So with with hindsight, they should have. Um, but but currencies are very difficult to predict short term movements and investing overseas. If you've got a diversified portfolio in, of overseas investments, sometimes a mix of currencies can can not be not be a bad thing and and potentially as we talked about the european economic environment improving that could lead to the euro strengthening in the short term so you'd benefit from that so so maybe hedge your hedge your hedging position and and have one hedge fund and one unhedged or, yeah. or something like that because i've still to meet anyone who can predict short term currency movements and we've already seen the U- the euro weaken quite considerably versus the pound yeah well, that has to be said that um the etf that there is one etf which is hedged which is very okay. new um it's a couple of months ago and it has done the best out of yes, all of yeah, them which i guess certainly. you would expect um i mean the hedged etfs have been kind of increasingly popular in this area past year but yeah it, it's just about whether that will continue to be the right play or not isn't it it's yeah quite exactly tricky to know. i think it's it's really hard I'm yeah say. i haven't met anyone who's who can <laughs> confidently predict short-term currency yeah. movements but yes having having a mix and yes adding adding that to the selection having mm-hmm. a hedged um etf i think will, will appeal to investors Okay. Um, Kate's also been reviewing the performance of one of our IC Top 100 funds this week, Murray International Trust. Uh, This investment trust is run by a highly regarded manager, Bruce Stout, and it used to have a really strong performance record. But over the past few years, it hasn't done so well. Kate, the trust recently published its half-year report. How is it doing now? 
So it's the results for the last six months or six months to June um, were not um, amazing. So they the trust failed to kind of beat its benchmark. Um, now have dropped by two point six percent and share price total returns by four point one percent, and that's compared to a return of two percent for its benchmark. Um, so that is a bit disappointing. And in the year to date, uh, the kind of share price total return has fallen by um, over 12%. So those results um, do look a bit disappointing. Um, and it's interesting that the trust has actually fallen to a discount um, for the first time in five years, uh, which is quite marked because it, it has traditionally traded on a premium um, as it's a very popular trust. And um, you spoke to some analysts as well. I mean, what do they think? Is is that discount? Is that an opportunity to get in? Well, it's tricky because I guess obviously you, you can either see this as a warning sign um, or an opportunity. Yes. And it comes down to what are the drivers of this performance, I guess. Um, and a lot of them said that actually they still really rate this trust and think that these are, you know, kind of explicable issues. Um, I'm Bruce Stout, he puts this down to the continued strength of sterling um, as a big key issue. And he's also very kind of negative on the in the impact of QE and is saying that that kind of liquidity fuel, um, which has pushed up all of the stock markets, is is distorting the actual fundamentals. So he thinks that's why he's failed to be his benchmark, but doesn't think, um, you know, that that's going to be negative over the long term. And analysts say um, that actually this trust still has a great yield. It's the top um, in terms of the dividend you can take from it and that's obviously going to be key for most investors with this trust um, and they say that actually you know they've, they've still got confidence in in him um, and over the long term think that his views particularly on things like emerging markets um, could come good so you know they're, they're still actually very positive. Okay. Gavin, you mentioned before that um, um, income investors should consider global equity income funds. Um, what do you think of Murray International? Is that a global equity income fund that you think would be um, a good option for investors? I think it's it's certainly one to consider. As Kate said, it's now fallen to a discount. It's it's traded on a premium for a, a long, long time because Bruce Stout is, is held in high regard and all fund managers... Uh, do go through periods of underperformance, and that doesn't hasn't made him a bad fund manager over overnight. And certainly, the, the yields enticing now. I think it's got a yield of around five percent. Um, it has had sort of a bit of a perfect storm. It's had exposure to emerging markets, which have obviously seen a a, a widespread sell off. And with I think around ninety percent overseas, the unhedged the strengthening of sterling has hurt performance as well. Um, but I say that doesn't make it a bad investment, and we do like the, the global equity income story. Uh, and this this could be a, a sort of a contrarian opportunity to a sort of buying opportunity to invest in some out of favour areas. So so yes, I think it's a it's a trust that is is worthy of consideration at, at these levels. And it pays, I say, I think it pays a quarterly dividend mm. with a yield of five percent. So that'll be a, attractive to to investors certainly. Um, it certainly struggled for a while. Now, when you get um, this situation, respected manager who has been good, but let's say falls on hard times, how long should investors give the manager to turn around performance? I guess it depends on the manager to an extent. I mean, as I said, all managers do have periods of underperformance. 
Uh, I think it, it's for us, it's very much about whether we agree with how the manager has the portfolio position going forward. And if our views are aligned, we can understand why it's underperformed. Then, then we'll continue to hold on to it. You know, we, we'd say don't be too hasty to judge on past performance because the cycle may be about to change. So, in uh, Bruce's case, he certainly has had a very a low weighting in U.S. shares, which have done very well. But our own view is that the U.S. stock market has had a very good run. Shares certainly don't look cheap there. So we think that's the strategy he's pursuing could could be um, a good medium to learn long term strategy from this point. So, so in in that case, we'd we'd sort of say there's a good reason to to hold on. And I mean, it's interesting that he's kind of continued to hold on to quite a lot of Latin America stocks, hasn't he? And I think as a kind of area of alternative income, um, but repeatedly that looks like um, an area which has damaged the returns because obviously that market's not done well. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, Latin America, Brazil in particular, is so driven by oil and other commodity prices, the fall in the oil price and then the slowdown in um, the fall in commodity prices with the slowdown in China has particularly um, hit hit that area. And momentum remains against it. But at some point, the valuations are going to become very compelling. It it is perhaps starting to look oversold. So perhaps now is not not the time to, to cave in and sell it. But um. But at the same time, you're probably going to have to be patient in, in terms of when it recovers. Okay, another one to watch then. That brings us to the end of this week's podcast. So it just remains to thank Kate Bailey, personal finance writer at Investors Chronicle, and special guest Gavin Haynes, managing director at wealth manager Whitechurch Securities. You can read more about generating income in retirement, German equities and Murray International Trust in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. Thank you for listening and have a great weekend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.